Well, good morning, everyone. Man, it is wonderful. Hey, MJ. It is great to see you here today at the Vista. If we have not met before, my name's Austin. I get to serve here as one of our lead pastors. And if you're joining us for the first time, maybe first time in a long time, we're just so glad that you're here. A lot of us remember what it's like to walk into a church for the very first time or the very first time in a long time, and we know it takes a lot of courage, and so we just want to affirm you in that. We hope that you feel loved, welcomed, and wanted, that you fit right in, and that you make yourself at home here at the Vista. Now today, we are starting a brand new sermon series, a series called The Apocalypse, A Study of Revelation, and it is a series that I am very, very, very excited about, and very, very, what's the word, maybe trepidatious about Maybe a little bit trepidatious. Dave and I, we were, we were talking through some sermon uh, series stuff early in the summer, and we knew we wanted to go through a book of the Bible in the fall. If you're new here to Vista, we try to practice this rhythm in our preaching where sometimes we walk through books of the Bible, and sometimes we do something more topical and of the moment, and sometimes we follow the church calendar. And so we knew it was kind of time to walk through a book of the Bible, so we're sitting in Dave's office, we're talking about options, and I go, hey, so hear me out on this one, but what if we preach through revelation and Dave just goes ooh. <laughs> I understood his reaction man I do because I don't know if you, you know this but uh, revelation it's a pretty weird book in fact the only thing weirder than revelation might be a person who loves to read revelation you know everybody like that I mean y'all somebody tells you revelation is their favorite book brother you better get out of there because it's about to get very 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 weird they're going to be you know quoting you about who the antichrist is very quickly uh nt wright he's got this great quote on revelation he says revelation is a strange book nearly as strange as some of its readers i swear to you revelation is the favorite book of every cult leader who has ever existed in the history of the world every one of them and they all interpret in the exact same way have you noticed this they're like oh yes Mm -hmm. the lord is given me the secret message of revelation and the secret message is that ah yes there it is Jesus is coming back very soon maybe tomorrow and all that you have to do to be on his good side when he returns is give me your wife and all your money that's all you have to do to be on Jesus' good side every single time John Calvin, he wrote a commentary on every single book of the New Testament except Revelation, right? And you know some book is too hot to handle when Mr. Double Predestination himself is like, nope, we're not going to mess with this one, man. I'm not going to write anything on it. Martin Luther, he said he thought it didn't even belong in the Bible because he could not sense Jesus or the Holy Spirit in it. Cyril of Jerusalem, he was this early church father, he went so far as to make reading Revelation illegal, either publicly or privately. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine you've got this like black market illicit copy of Revelation in your house? You know, you're in there reading. Oh my God, it's true. All the things they've said are true. And Bishop Cyril kicks in your door. You know, he runs it. What is that? What are you reading? What do you got in your hands? Is that Revelation? You're like, no, it's Sports Illustrated Swimsuit. It's not Revelation. I swear, man, I would never, I would never read Revelation. And so with Revelation's long history of weirdness, so well-documented, uh, why are we gonna spend a couple of months walking through it. Well, one of the things I'm fond of reminding us of every once in a while, because it's a reminder I need, is that a Christianity is a received faith, which means you don't get to make Christianity up. Now, our faith, it has to evolve and it has to flex in all sorts of unexpected ways, but uh, frankly, it is so arrogant of us to think that we can just reinvent Christianity however we see fit. 
You know, because we think we're, we're enlightened, modern people who just know better about everything than all these unenlightened, ancient people, you know, who gave Christianity to us, who passed down the faith to us, because after all, we'll be passing on the Kardashians to our posterity, right? Like, what do they pass on? Psalms, boring, we've got real housewives. And so you get the idea. You don't get to make Christianity up. It's a received faith. We don't get to make it up. You don't get to make it up. I don't get to make it up. And so the primary reason that we're going to take this weird walk through Revelation together is because Revelation is in the Bible. Because the church, we believe guided by the Spirit, believed that Revelation belonged in the Bible. And not just in the Bible, but like the last book in the Bible, right? The exclamation point on everything else that God wanted to say to us through Scripture And then one of the main reasons why the church determined that Revelation belonged in the Bible, despite all of its attending weirdness, is that Revelation is weird. Absolutely, it is. But it's weird on purpose. And you know what I mean when I say weird on purpose? Think about it this way. What is it that makes something weird to us? Like, what is it that gets triggered in your brain when you see something and you're like, that's that's weird? Well, as a general rule of thumb, something is weird when it, when it violates our expectations. Something's weird when it's, it's not what we expected. So, for example, I recently received this video from um, TMZ Temple. Did y'all know TMZ Temple existed? I just founded it this morning. Um, it's a video of our student pastor, Chris, dancing at, at student camp. Now, I need to warn you that what you're about to see may be a little bit disturbing for some of you, so if you've got a squeamish stomach, you know, you might want to cover your eyes for this, but let's just watch this together, okay? Uh, this is my favorite one. I don't, I, it's a go-to dance move of 30-year-old white guys everywhere. I don't know why we do it, man, but it just, it feels right in the moment. It never looks right on tape, but it feels right. It always feels right in the moment. And so why do Chris's dance moves strike us? It's weird. Well, hey, y'all, the best part is Chris doesn't know I'm showing this video, and he's going to come up on stage at the end of the service to do the clothes with me. It's going to be great. Um, the reason it strikes us as weird is because if there's anything we know we can count on from the, the moves of 30-year-old white guys, it's that they violate all reasonable expectations for what dance moves are supposed to look like, right? This is not what dance moves are supposed to look like, so it's weird to us, okay? So some things are weird, like 30-year-old white guy dance moves, but then some things are weird on purpose. Right? For example, the ancient Jewish and Christian practice of Sabbath, right? One day a week, God commanded Israel and us to rest, to enjoy the good gifts of creation, Now, the weirdness of Sabbath is probably a little bit lost on you and me because we inherited from our Judeo-Christian heritage this idea of the weekend, right? So we're just kind of used to it. But Sabbath was a really weird thing in the ancient world. All the other nations, they thought that Israel's refusal to work or fight on the Sabbath was really weird because it meant they were going to fall behind in the winner-take-all rat race that is life. And so God says to Israel, hey, I want you to be weird on purpose, Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a day a week off to rest and enjoy the good gifts of creation because I want to show the world that no, you don't have to be afraid of falling behind. 
And you don't have to be anxiously obsessed with getting and protecting yours because you live in the world of a good and gracious God. In other words, God asked Israel to practice this weird thing called Sabbath because as it turns out, what's weird wasn't Sabbath, but refusing to Sabbath, right? God asked Israel to be weird on purpose for the purpose of reminding the world that technically speaking, its refusal to rest was weird, not Israel's willingness to rest because the world didn't know it had a good maker. And so when I say that Revelation is weird on purpose, what I mean is that Revelation wants to challenge some of our assumptions about reality wants to challenge some of our assumptions about what's normal. And so Revelation throws all these wild and weird images and stories and events at us in order to remind us that we don't define reality because God defines reality. All that to say Revelation is weird, but it is weird on purpose for the purpose of reminding us that technically speaking, Revelation isn't weird. And you know what's weird? You're weird. And I'm weird. We're the weird ones. The weird ones with these hilarious delusions of grandeur about our ability to control and define reality and boss God around as if God were our cosmic butler. And so when it gets weird, and it will get weird, I want to challenge you. This is the unofficial motto of the series, okay? I want to challenge you to embrace the weirdness, okay? That's the unofficial motto. If anybody gets that tattooed somewhere, I'll let you preach the last sermon of the series, right? Embrace the weirdness because, just hear me out, because there's a chance that you don't know as much as you think you do. There's a chance, I know it's a small one, I know, I know it's a small one, but there's a chance that God knows more about reality than you do, right? So embrace the weirdness, right? So you ready? All right, so imagine, it's, um, it's the Lord's Day. A couple thousand years ago, our best guess is it's probably around 95 CE, and you're an ancient Christian gathered for worship at this small house church in ancient Asia. And man, you love this weekly gathering for worship because it provides a center for you in a world that feels pretty out of control. Because after all, man, you're one of those, like, you're one of those OG Christians, right? You were a Christian before it was cool and normal to be a Christian, and so you've always felt a little bit out of place in the world. Uh, you live in the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire the world had ever seen, and you've lived your whole life as a kind of quasi enemy of the state. Right, uh, the situation, uh, the society around you, it views you as unpatriotic and antisocial because you won't worship the emperor. Why won't you won't worship the emperor? Everybody worships the emperor. Why can't you just worship the emperor? Well, you, you worship Jesus, baby, so you can't worship the emperor. And so you're in this constant kind of unpatriotic posture. You've experienced various forms of persecution, some of it major, some of it minor. And then on top of this enemy of the state cultural alienation that you've just always lived with, there've been some very strange and ominous happenings going on in the world around this time. Had these massive earthquakes, huge famines sweeping across the land. Most ominous of all, there was the uh, volcanic eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 CE. This is, uh, I think it's a 19th century painting of it. Captures just how shocking it was to everybody. It was this, you know, thermal explosion, this volcanic eruption with 100,000 times the thermal energy of the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. It was the most cataclysmic event anybody had ever seen that anybody had ever heard of. It was this an event that surely signaled to everybody that, hey man, the world is, is coming to an end. The end is near. So that's your situation, okay? You gather for worship on the Lord's day and you're very surprised, a little bit excited to find out that your church has received a letter from this guy named John. Now you might have noticed that there are a lot of Johns in the New Testament. Strange sentence, I know. Um, there are a lot of Johns in the New Testament. You got John the Baptist, 
got John the Apostle, you got John the Elder who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you got John the Revelator who wrote Revelation, and some people think it's the same John, John the Apostle who wrote all five of these biblical books. Some people think it's three different Johns that wrote the five books. Some people think it's two different Johns that wrote the five books. And so, you know, who's right in which John wrote Revelation? Now, in order to answer this question, I'm gonna have to introduce you to a sentence that you're gonna need to become very comfortable with during the course of our weird walk through Revelation. Right, you ready for the sentence? Here it is. We can't know for sure, and it doesn't matter. But Austin, who's the, who's the beast who comes up out of the abyss to make war on the saints later on in Revelation? Who is it, huh, huh, huh? Well, we can't know for sure, and it doesn't matter. But Austin, but uh, wait, wait, who's the false prophet who teams up with the beast to make war on the saints? Is it Trump? Is it Biden? Who is it, man? Who is it? <laughs> well, we can't know for sure. And it doesn't matter. But Austin, uh, when's Jesus coming back, man? And what's the like day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, moment by moment, millisecond by millisecond timeline for how the world is going to end? Tell me. We can't know for sure. And it doesn't matter. And so which John wrote Revelation? Say it with me now, church. We can't know for sure. And it doesn't matter. Rather, what matters is that this John who wrote Revelation was clearly an authority. He was very respected in the early church. He is someone who has received a real word from the living God. All right, so you sit down there on the floor of the house church that you're a part of. Somebody unrolls the scroll. Can you imagine how big it was? It's like a carpet just getting rolled out there. And you start to read this letter from John the Revelator. If you got your Bibles, turn in them to Revelation. This is a very easy book to find. It's right there at the very end. It'll also be on the screen for you. And we're just going to read the first three verses today. John 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw, now, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Revelation 1, 1 through 3. So this first sentence of Revelation is, in my opinion, the most important sentence in Revelation, because if you do not understand what John is saying in his first sentence, then you will not understand what John is saying in any of his subsequent sentences, right? If you can't get this one right here, you're not going to understand the, the giant red dragon in Revelation 12, right? So let's just start with the first phrase, first three words of the first sentence, first phrase. It's three words in the Greek. Apocalypsis Jesu Christu, which just means the apocalypse of or from Jesus Christ. Now, this word apocalypsis or apocalypse in English, it alerts us to the fact that what John is doing here, what he's writing, it's meant to be understood in a certain way. That's a certain kind of writing. It's a certain kind of thinking. It's a certain genre of literature. Generally speaking, when John calls his letter an apocalypse, what he's saying is that it's an unveiling. Right? So that's the primary verb to associate with apocalypse. Okay, it's an unveiling, an unveiling of what? Well, it's, it's an unveiling of what's really going on in the world. It's an unveiling of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do to defeat sin, suffering, and death, and usher in the joyful justice of the kingdom of God. Richard Bauckham is a New Testament scholar. He wrote an awesome short little book on Revelation. Here's how he describes what John means when he calls this letter an apocalypse. 
It says, the effect of John's visions is to expand his reader's world, to open up their world to divine transcendence. Now, it's not that the here and now are left behind in an escape into heaven, but that the here and now look quite different when they are opened up to transcendence. Okay, so think of it this way. When Satan is described in Scripture, one of the most common things said about Satan is what? That he's a liar, right? He, he's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. That Satan doesn't want you to know what's really going on. And so Satan likes to keep secrets from you, likes to keep a thick curtain up so that you can't see what's really going on. And so when we understand this, we're now able to see that we should think of John's apocalypse, his unveiling, as a kind of counteroffensive to Satan's deception. Satan wants to put the veil up, wants to put the curtain up, and what does John want to do in this letter? He wants to rip the curtain back so that everybody can see what's really going on. This brings us to something so simple but so painfully important that, that will really change so many things for you if you get it, right? God doesn't keep secrets, God doesn't keep secrets. Now, I know some of you might be a little bit skeptical right now, so just bear with me here. You might not be prone to agree with this claim, but I want you to think about this. For some very understandable reasons, there are many Christians who think that God does like to keep secrets, who think that God does like to withhold very important information from us. Now, to be clear, Scripture is very clear that God does not owe us any explanations. Uh, technically speaking, God is incapable of owing us anything. Scripture is also clear that we teeny tiny finite humans cannot fully comprehend the ways of an infinite God. That's all true. And yet one of Scripture's other most consistent affirmations is that while God does not owe us any explanations, God has freely and gladly told us everything that we need to know. One of Scripture's most consistent affirmations is that God does not keep secrets from us. One of the best examples of this is the usage of the word mystery in the New Testament. You might have noticed that the word mystery comes up a lot in the New Testament, but when it's used, it does not refer to God's habit of keeping very important secrets from us, but rather it describes the exact opposite. It describes God's habit of happily telling us everything that we need to know. To be more specific, Every time the New Testament writers use the word mystery, and they use it a lot, what they're actually saying is that there's actually no longer any mystery because everything has been revealed in Christ. Every single time the New Testament writers say mystery, what they're actually saying is, yeah, there was a mystery, but there's not anymore because it's Jesus and, you know, cat's kind of out of the bag. Everybody knows about it. All right, we'll just look at a few places. Revelation uh, 16, verses 25 through 26. Pay attention to how the word mystery is used. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, the unveiling of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now it is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations. Was there a mystery? Yeah, it was Jesus and now it's been made known to all the nations. The secret's gone. Ephesians 1, 8 through 10. In all wisdom and insight, God made known to us the mystery of his will. Not that God kept it a secret from us. God made known to us the mystery of his will. What is it? According to the kind intention which he purposed in Christ with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. What's the mystery? The summing up of all things in Christ. Colossians 1, 26 through 27. Paul says, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations. But what's happened now? 
Well, now it has been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What's the mystery? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this really could not be any clearer. It could not be any clearer. And yet throughout Christian history, there's been this really sad tendency, a tragic tendency, to get this twisted and to attribute this secret-keeping behavior to God that scripture actually applies to Satan. A lot of us walk around talking about God the way scripture talks about Satan. Satan is the one who likes to keep secrets from you, who likes to keep a thick curtain up so that you can't see what's really going on. God in Christ is the one who has freely and gladly told you every single thing that you need to know. God is the one who rips the curtain back. Satan puts the curtain up, God rips the curtain back. Like, on a strictly human level, okay? Uh, any of you who are parents, everybody's got a parent. H how sick a parent would I be, would you be, if we withheld very important information from our children? Imagine that. Like my, my, my little girl, she's two and a half now. If she came up to me with a, a fork, she walked up to an outlet and she said, Daddy, would this hurt? How sick a parent would I be if I went, I don't know, it's a mystery, <laughs> you know, like, you're gonna put daddy in a nursing home against his will one day? Or, you know, tell me your secret, I'll tell you mine. How sick would that be? You gotta beg me to tell you. We know that is sick, satanic behavior. You know that, you're able to recognize it. And yet somehow we don't recognize that this is precisely the behavior we're often attributing to God. And revelation has unfortunately become ground zero for perpetuating what I only know to call this, it's a satanic view of God wherein God loves to keep secrets from us, important secrets from us, because God has some weird power fetish thing where he loves to see us like beg him for this stuff that's desperate to our flourishing and survival. And so we come to Revelation looking for these secret and hidden messages and codes and conspiracies or whatever, because we have failed to understand the very first sentence. What's the very first sentence? Let's read it again. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Y'all, everything in this sentence is trying to tell us that Revelation is not a book of secrets because God doesn't keep secrets. Everything in this first sentence is trying to tell us that God has freely and gladly showed us, unveiled, revealed every single thing that you need to know. And then the second thing that this first sentence tells us, and we'll, we'll circle back next week, is that revelation is about Jesus. Okay. It's so simple. Revelation is about Jesus. Again, it, it could not be said more clearly in the very first phrase of the first sentence, right? What's the first phrase of the first sentence? The apocalypse, the revelation, the unveiling of what? John dread, red dragons, end times, zombie apocalypses. What's the revelation of? It is a revelation of Jesus Christ, right? And so before we get all caught up in these wild visions, and there are some wild visions in Revelation, man, of the, you know, these, these apocalyptic battles and the giant red dragon who knocks down all the stars with his tail and the zombie apocalypses and so on and so forth, we have to keep in our minds that the primary revelation, the primary apocalypse in view in Revelation is not some last battle at the end of days, but rather the primary apocalypse in view in Revelation is Jesus Christ, right? It's Jesus Christ because y'all, strictly speaking, Jesus 
is God's apocalypse, right? Jesus is God's decisive intervention in human history. Jesus is God's final and full revelation, which means God has nothing else to say to us except Jesus. Nothing beyond Jesus, nothing more than Jesus, nothing uh, in addition to Jesus. Jesus is everything that God has to say to us, right? Here's how Eugene Peterson says it. I love this quote. He says, everything in the revelation can be found in the previous 65 books of the Bible, The revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The truth of the gospel is already complete, revealed in Jesus Christ. There is nothing new to say on the subject, but there's a new way to say it. I read the revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. This power to wake us up is the most obvious use of the revelation. All that to say, uh, for the next couple of months, I I hate to disappoint some of you, but... For the next couple of months, we're not going to be wasting our time speculating. I know, sorry. (laughs) Waste our time speculating on end time conspiracies and mysteries. Because we're going to be too busy celebrating the mystery that's no longer a mystery. We're going to be too busy celebrating the serious, and it is serious, but joyful Apocalypse, who has a name, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of today. We do not deserve to be here, and that is so hard to remember. We feel entitled to life. We feel entitled to the breath in our lungs and food in our bellies and good things coming our way, but we're not. Uh, We're creatures who are entitled to nothing. And yet, You have freely and gladly given us all things because you've given us Jesus. And so we pause today and we remember that. And I I pray for all my friends in the room today, old friends, a lot of new friends in the room today. And I pray that you would help us to see that this, this, this idea a lot of us have of you, this secret keeping mysterious God who enjoys withholding important information from us and likes to keep us in the dark This is the way scripture talks about Satan, not you. God, you are light and in you there is no darkness. You have freely and gladly told us everything that we need to know. And I pray that that truth would settle down in our hearts because a lot of us have walked around with a very unchrist-like picture of who you are and we need to repent of that and receive this good news that you don't keep important secrets from us. And so we pause this morning and just remember that your apocalypse has in a very real sense already happened and his name is Jesus and he's with us even now. We love him and we worship him and we pray in his name. Amen.